She said, well, dad, um, I'm saving money. I go, okay, great. Figure she's going to do a trip to Disneyland or buy a new dress or something. And now, granted, she's nine years old at this time. And I said, so what are you, what are you going to do with the money? And then she was still hesitant to tell me because I think she didn't want to deal with my response to it. And she goes, well, dad, I'm going to build an orphanage, a hospital, a school, a church in Haiti. Talking with people about how to have a great retirement. This is the Rock Your Retirement Show. We don't talk about money, but we talk about almost everything else you need to rock your retirement. Now, here's your host, Kathy Klein. Welcome to Rock Your Retirement. This is the show where we talk about what you need besides money before you retire. Or if you're already retired, we can give you some great ideas on how to have a better retirement. Remember, there are other things to talk about besides money when dealing with retirement. And if you'd like to have a more interactive experience, join our private Facebook group by searching for Rock Your Retirement Community on Facebook. Our guest for today is Bill Manicero, and I'm so excited that he is here talking to us today. He is the president and founder of Child Hope International, which is a nonprofit, a 501c3 for those technical people out there. It's a charitable organization that works with orphaned, abandoned, and at-risk children on the streets of Port-au-Prince, Haiti. The Manicero family's unique ministry helped street children get off the streets and build a promising life for themselves in the Haitian society. And you know, I have a really good friend that goes to Haiti once a year at least, and probably more than that. And then I've got another business acquaintance who does it too. So we're going to talk to Bill about that. His family served as missionaries in Haiti from 2003 to 2015. And then when he decided to come back to the States for retirement, he started investing in real estate as a means to fund their retirement and help their Haitian mission. He now shares his real estate knowledge with other seniors through his old dog, and dog is spelled D-A-W-G, REA Network, which is a website, a blog, and a weekly podcast just like this. Now, before he went into full-time missionary service, he and his wife, Suzette, have, oh my gosh, seven children and mm-hmm. four grandchildren. I'm going to ask him, is he Mormon or is he Catholic? <laughs> uh, so the Manaceros were featured in Soledad O'Brien's 2010 CNN's documentary, Rescued, and on a two-hour Oprah Winfrey special about Haiti in 2012. Now, we're not going to talk about his real estate investments, but we are going to talk about volunteering overseas and how this can help your retirement. So, Bill, welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much for having me on, Kathy. I'm really, really thrilled to be here. This is going to be great. (laughs) That was a mouthful. So... (laughs) Are you Mormon or are you Catholic? (laughs) Neither. (laughs) I think it's against the law to have that many children if you're not Mormon or Catholic. Yeah, I know. We we just kind of collect them wherever we go. (laughs) Actually, when I married my wife, she had uh, two young children. So I I was kind of sort of instant papa there. And then we had three of our own. And then we adopted two beautiful little Haitian babies. Oh, that is so awesome. I love that. So how old are the Haitian babies now? Well, they're not babies anymore. <laughs> <laughs> They're uh, 12 and uh, 16. Oh, 
So uh, the 12-year-old is uh, Kenny or Kenson, and then the 16-year-old is Francesca. Oh, wow. Okay. So was it, it must have been a big culture shock for them to move from Haiti to the U.S. Oh, big time. Yes. Yeah. It was, uh, you know, their eyes just were wide. First time on an airplane uh, flying over, it was, uh, yeah, they're just, their eyes were just open wide and they stayed that way for the next three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> what about getting involved in schools? Are they homeschooled or do you put them in public school or a private school? Actually, one's in a private school and one's in public. The younger one's in a, in a private school, but all, all the other kids are in, uh, in public school and they adapted really, really well. They're smart kids and, uh, they love athletics. They're both just amazing athletes as well. That's awesome. Now, when they moved over here and they went into public school, was it completely different than schools in Haiti? Yes. Yes. And no, you know, they were in a private school there. We were in a, a school that uh, was a, a lot for expats. And so it was an English language school, which was good because they, their English is very, very good. So the transition wasn't that different, although that, that was a small school when they came here. You know, they're at a school where, for example, the high school that my daughter goes to is like 3,000 plus or more that, uh, you know, is a little overwhelming. And obviously, there, you know, there's, there's a real difference culturally because, uh, you know, in Haiti. They don't um, mouth off. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> not at all. And, you know, very strict. The schools, it's a, you know, it's a French sort of school educational system there. So, you know, it's very, very strict and uniforms and the whole nine yards. And they come here and, you know, the kids are, are dressed very different than what they're used to. So, Almost naked? Yeah, pretty much. Pretty <laughs> much. So I'm constantly having sit downs with my daughter and, and my son, you know, about uh, what what's uh, good to wear and not so good to wear. <laughs> <laughs> what a big culture shock for both of them. <laughs> Seriously. Now, they're both teenagers. So are they adapting to the teenager mouthiness that we have here in the United States? Hopefully not. It's a daily struggle. <laughs> you know, the uh, your phones are, it just would drive me crazy. You know, the walking around, you know, not, not even looking where you're walking as you're texting or whatever you're doing. That, that can drive, drive me a little bit crazy. And so we have little vacations from the phone every now and then. <laughs> well, plus you're a grandparent, right? That's right. So you're a generation ahead of these children, right? You know, probably I'm, I, I would say probably a little older. I was, when I went over to Haiti, I was around 50 and I'm 61 now. So yeah, so normally I, you know, we'd be experiencing sort of the empty nester, but I have a, another child, Elijah, who's Francesca's brother, who's also 16. So you know, we're not too far off. I, uh, most all of my other kids uh, are, you know, out of the home, but uh, we've got three here with us. And so, yeah, it, probably uh, most of my friends are empty nesters right now. And uh, I still have uh, have a little ways to go, especially with uh, Kenny, who's uh, going into seventh grade. Of course. Well, it's big culture shock. People who grew up in our generation, I'm a little bit younger than you, I'm 50, but our generation and looking at what the kids are doing today, not only with technology, but also just with the way they treat people my age. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. Well, luckily, I would say these, these I'm pretty blessed then because these kids are very respectful of, of adults. Course. It, one of the stories that's always really interesting is when, let's say we go out to eat and we'd be at a restaurant or something and there'd be like a little birthday party and uh, nearby and Frankie, we called Francesca Frankie. Some of the, her friends were part of the the uh, birthday party. 
they, when they would see her, they would all come over and there would be a line of you know young teenage girls coming over and they would go around and they would kiss everybody at the table. And they go, you know, the French, very formal kind of French greeting. And uh, they would first start with the oldest uh, out of respect, and then they work their way around. Yeah, this is really common. So even when Frankie went to school here, it was not uncommon to her. She would go up one of her teachers and, you know, and, Give them and a greet, kiss. greet her with a kiss. And it was like, no, you know. The teacher's running. The teacher's running. No, don't touch me. I'm going to lose my job. Yeah, I don't want a lawsuit, you know. <laughs> but I'm glad to see that your daughter is teaching some of our children respect. Yes, uh, my uh, daughter is a very respectful young girl. Great. That's absolutely great. So so I love hearing about your family, but let's talk about what made you go to Haiti in the first place. That's a big story. I'll try to keep it short. Right before we, we went to Haiti, we had a children's music ministry. So we uh, wrote and produced children's music and uh, traveled all around the world. We did family concerts and played for camps and for schools and all kinds of things. And my next level of children, of which Elijah is sort of a member of that group there, uh, have a Vienna at uh, 20 and uh, Ariana, who's 24. At that time, when we were traveling around, I would have my uh, daughter Ariana, who was very active in what, what we did, our, our ministry. We, you know, we, we had a whole band, you know, we traveled around kind of like a partridge family or whatever. And anybody here knows who they are even. My daughter would do like hand motions and so forth to go along with the songs and she'd sing. And she just uh, kind of grew up on the road. One day I went in to talk to her and I noticed on her dresser, she had a, a little jar of coins and I asked her about these coins. And she just kind of looked at me kind of skeptically. And I kind of, what, what, I was just asking what were the, you know, what the coins are for. And she said, well, dad, um, I'm saving money. I go, okay, great. Figure she's going to do a trip to Disneyland or buy a new dress or something. And now, granted, she's nine years old at this time. And I said, so what are you, what are you going to do with the money? And then she was still hesitant to tell me because I think she didn't want to deal with my response to it. And she goes, well, dad, I'm going to build an orphanage, a hospital, a school, a church in Haiti. And I go, really? It didn't surprise me at all because she had uh, she was uh, sponsoring a kid through I think Compassion International, and she just really got into Haiti and started studying about Haiti and reading about it and just had a heart for Haiti. And over time, she just became sort of a resident expert on Haiti, and this continued for years. And hearing that she wanted to build an orphanage there didn't surprise me. And that's really something that as, as time went on, we realized this is really something. And uh, we used to, when we do presentations and concerts and so forth, we would talk about, you know, just because you're a kid doesn't mean you can't do amazing things. And then I would share the story about my daughter. And word just got around. And before you know it, people started uh, calling us to be on radio interviews and different things. And we started speaking about it. And then funds just started coming in. And we didn't know what to do with this money. And it was all designated to Ariana's dream. So we finally decided, okay, we're, gonna, we're just going to go to Haiti and check it out. So we got a, a group of people from our church and, and we went over there. And we did the musical concerts that we normally do and so forth. And 
when Ariana got there, we get, she walks out the plane and, and they didn't have, you know, tarmacs at that time. He just literally walk out onto the runway and she walked out. She got down on her knees, kissed the ground and she goes, I'm home. We knew that this was more than just a, a passing fancy, that she really was serious. And that really started the process. While we were over there on that trip, uh, we didn't plan on this, but one by one, our hearts started getting changed. And my wife, when we flew back from Haiti, basically said to me, you know what? I don't think our daughter's the only one being called to Haiti. And I was kind of going, well, I'm not quite hearing that. (laughs) And uh, I, I wasn't convinced that that was really where we were supposed to go. But a whole series of events happened that finally we just stopped everything we did. We sold everything we had or gave it away. And we hopped on an airplane and went over to Haiti. There was a a group of kids that we had met when we were over there that were street kids that really just tore our hearts. Uh, And uh, we went over there and these kids were still there. And we started our orphanage with 12 of those street kids. So that's really how it started. It really was our daughter that even got us interested or motivated to go there. That's awesome. How old is she now? She's 24. And is she still in Haiti or what is she doing? No, she came back to go to school. Um, She was up in uh, Santa Barbara uh, for a little while. And uh, right now she's trying to figure out, you know, because she's also at that age too, where she's kind of thinking about Oh, should I get married? Should I, you know, what, what have you? And so she's, she's spending a little time on, on a sabbatical, really away from Haiti, trying to figure out really the next step for her. The orphanage is still very active and, and we have some great people running it while we're, we're not there, but she is the one that really has a heart for it. And while she was there, I mean, from, we arrived there, I guess when she was 12 or 13, I think 12, I mean, she just, she just, it was amazing. She just started working with the Haitian people and uh, just started going and helping people. She, she recruited girls off the streets and they came and they would meet with her on these weekly meetings. And she's just amazing and made a real impact on that, uh, on that country. That is awesome. Thank you for sharing that story with us. Yes. Really, Sorry it took so long. <laughs> no, it was a great story. Are you kidding? I love stories. This is wonderful. So this show is for people who are either retired or about to retire. And you weren't retired when you went to Haiti, obviously, right? Because you were, how long, let's see, that was... Uh, it was around 50 okay. when I first went there. So you probably weren't immediately thinking of retirement, but you probably did get some volunteers that maybe were retired. So tell me, how can volunteering overseas help somebody's retirement? That's been something, one, we had a pretty strong impact because when we were there, we were already preparing for retirement and thinking about retirement. But we are an organization that's very much volunteer driven. And not only do we have a number of people in the States that support what we do, but we have tons of people that come over as interns or they come over as uh, volunteers in different capacities. And uh, a lot of those people are retired. It was just a really, really exciting to see people that would come over. For example, we have a a vocational training program and it's a really unique program. We don't just teach them, for example, how to sew, but we literally establish a business that is a sewing business. So they're learning how to sew, but they're also learning about the business aspect of it. We call it a, a business incubator so that they can learn not only how to sew, but how to set up a business. So when they 
are finished or they graduate out of our program at 18, they actually can go back to their village and set up shop as a seamstress or, or um, you know, a tailor or whatever they want to be and to be able to uh, do that as a profession. Um, this is a country with 80% unemployment. So there's really not a lot of jobs. Even if you get advanced degrees and so forth, there's no guarantee of any kind of employment. The only guarantees you have are really if you're an entrepreneur and you're willing to go out there, roll up your sleeves and, and start a business. So we had more recently within the last year or so, a lady that came over that has long since retired. Her and her husband were both teachers. They agreed to come to Haiti for a fixed period of time for a two-year commitment and she ran our, our sewing program. You know, it was strictly volunteer. She'd come over each day and she'd bring the kids in and teach them sewing and also life skills too. And just a wonderful lady. And she just you know, had this great gift and she was giving it to these young young women that, uh, you know, whose lives are pretty much at risk in Haiti. Um, how long did she stay? She came over for a two-year commitment. Two years. Wow. That's yeah. almost like being on, what's the name of the boat that people go on? Mercy Ships? Mercy Ships, yeah. It's almost right. like Mercy Ships, that big of a commitment. That's great. So she probably made a huge difference in people's lives. Oh, big time. Big. We have that, which is more of a, an extended type of a example. And then we'll have some people that just come over for a week. And we have a bakery, for example. We've had uh, women that have come over that are retired that will come just for the week to teach the kids how to make certain types of things. Or they'll teach, either look at our existing operation, they'll say, oh, you're making cinnamon rolls. I know a quicker way to do that. And you can bake more cinnamon rolls, for example. Uh, they will come in for a week just as part of maybe a team of people that come over or they can come over on their own and just uh, volunteer their time to help these kids out. And whether it's a week or two years, it's so appreciated. I, I mean, I can't even begin to say, and a lot of people say, well, what can, what can you do in a week? I have seen relationships that have been developed uh, in, in less than a week where they connect with the kids over there and they continue to correspond with them when they go back to the States. And in many cases, uh, even help them if they're moving on to advanced education. Or just recently, we had one girl who the folks that she met that was over there on a missions trip helped her to get over to the States. And now she's attending college in Washington State. Very smart girl who lived on the streets uh, most of her life. And in fact, uh, it's just a real, real touching story. She had her hair cut very short when we first met her. I was called by a friend of mine that had an, another orphanage. And he said, I think... Uh, you need to help us out. We understand you have a girl's home. And I say, yeah, we do. And he goes, well, we're only a boy's home here. And there's been a resident here that we thought was a boy that has been living here for, you know, over a month. And I said, really? And she said, yeah. And she can't stay because we're obviously uh, a boy's home. But she had on the streets, she kept her hair short. She beat up half the boys on the street. She was a tough cookie, but she was also very fearful on the street because a lot of bad things happened. And uh, so she found solace in this this boy's home, but obviously her cover got blown at one point. And so uh, she came to move in with us. Uh, just a real, real tough girl. 
we just saw her blossom into this amazing, beautiful young woman who she didn't even start school until she came over with us. And she was around 12. Wow. She started school. She skipped maybe two or three grades a year. I mean, she was that smart and uh, got actually up to grade level for her age. So much so that she was able to not only finish school in Haiti, but to go directly into college here in the States. You know, I love that. That's really a great story as well. of something that your team was able to do that made a difference. But I want to circle back to something that you said earlier, and that was basically building a community, not just with the people that you're serving, but the people that you're serving with. You said that there were groups of people that would come together. And I think that's what my friends do. I think they go like maybe in a group of 10 or 15 through their church, and it really makes them closer together. Can you talk about that? That was a regular part of our life there. We have a a guest house over there and teams are just constantly coming and going and uh, all different types of teams. You know, we have church groups, we have uh, people that will just come over with their family and maybe they want their kids to, to experience Haiti and a lot of different situations like that. But what's really neat is that it's very often multicultural. It's very often multi-generational. And so you'll have folks there that are in their 80s and you'll have some that are 8 and 16 and 22 um, in the same group. And one thing about Haiti is it's it's a hard place. I mean, it's just a very, very hard place. And I don't know anybody that's ever come there that has not walked away major league impacted. Um, I've seen one family, a very well-off family uh, from Carpinteria, and uh, the grandmother brought her two daughters, twins, her, her granddaughters, to come to Haiti because, <laughs> frankly, she just said that they were out of control. They're just, <laughs> they were just spoiled. They were entitled. They were everything you want to call them. And brought them to Haiti and just rocked both girls' worlds. I mean, just dramatically. So much so that one of them just said, I want to come back here and serve full time. I mean, this is a girl that, you know, <laughs> was just not in that frame of mind when she came there, but was just transformed in touch by the the poverty, by the children that we serve there and uh, the whole situation. So it is a powerful place. You are impacted. It uh, You have to kind of prepare yourself for that too. And that's what's kind of good about, especially the church groups, because they'll take months and months to prepare so that they're not too shocked, you know, when they walk into a place that that has just got that degree of poverty. I mean, some people say Haiti is not even third world, it's fourth world. It's just so poor and so backwards and so forth. So it's a powerful experience as a community. I've seen teams bond and then teams may come together where they don't even know each other from different parts of the country or even different countries. And they will come together and they unify because of this. It just draws people together. We encourage each group to have sort of a debrief each each day. And sometimes people will just talk and just cry. <laughs> They'll just talk about what they've seen, a child that they encountered or a situation that they saw. And they'll just cry and they get there's such a bond that gets established in the not only short term teams, but the longer term people that come and serve there as well, that they have to form a community to, just to be able to encourage each other and to support each other, uh, you know, during this, this experience. Wow. That just seems amazing. You know, obviously I've never been to Haiti, but again, I've, I've heard about it. Now the volunteers are, they're either doing a short term, like a one week, or they're doing this long term, you know, like the, the woman who came and taught your, your 
people had a soul. When people are there, do they have any time off or is it just work, 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 stress, 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 or do they get to see Haiti? That's a big part of what we really try to encourage for those that do come and serve, even for short term. Haiti is, a lot of people just forget, it's in the Caribbean and it is a very beautiful place. But unfortunately, what most people see is really the the ugly part, the extreme poverty, the, the, the slums and so forth. But if you go just a few hours up the coast, you're going to see beautiful turquoise blue waters. There are even beach resorts up there that would rival anything you'd find anywhere else in the Caribbean, just beautiful places. And then there's uh, waterfalls and there's mountains and there's many rainforests. And uh, Haiti, uh, the, even the name Haiti uh, means mountainous place. So you'll, you'll see some beautiful mountains and you can go up to 7,000, 8,000 feet wow. in Haiti. There's snow. It's, I know it's hard to believe, but during the winter areas, you actually have snow. It doesn't stick, but it snows in those upper mountain regions. So it, it's a beautiful place. And we always, always cut out time for people to go and, and just to see Haiti, what it, what it really is, and uh, to be able to appreciate it. But in the longer term, people that are there, the same thing. You'll have people that really just have a heart to serve. And sometimes we just have to say, stop. <laughs> okay, go, enjoy. And, and again, we have the older people joining together with the younger people. And uh, they do a lot of things together and form some amazing friendships. So it, it's all about community here. That is really awesome. You've told us some really great stories, and thank you for that. Sure. Besides what you've already told us, was there one story that just touched your heart that would make you want to go back? Oh, I don't know that I could narrow it down to one story. We have, there was a lot that happened, but I think the the biggest impact was the earthquake, um, when the earthquake hit. And uh, that was uh, that was devastating. We were there at that time. And up until that time, there were a lot of experiences that happened. I mean, we we all got malaria. My wife and I had both got dengue fever. Oh, my gosh. We we had a, attempted kidnappings. We had just, I mean, we had hurricanes. We I mean, all kinds of things we'd been through. But when the earthquake hit, nothing, I mean, everything just paled in comparison. We we're located in, uh, we have a number of different buildings all in a neighborhood, just a typical sort of probably a middle class neighborhood, although poverty and the nicer homes are side by side. But when the earthquake happened, it was it was the scariest thing you'd ever seen. And what had happened is a at our facility we had a little medical clinic and or have a little medical clinic. And when the earthquake happened, all the hospitals either were collapsed or the few that were still standing had people that came to them that, uh, you know, that were turned away. And so we were gathering all our kids together, just making sure everybody is okay after the earthquake. I mean, we were real blessed. Not, not a single one of our buildings collapsed, although a building right next to our building completely collapsed. And then there was another one on the other side that collapsed, but we were just really blessed. All we had is one little wall that fell down and it fell on uh, one of our little girls at uh, four years old. And Oh, no. Was she okay? Oh, yeah. Just all she did is uh, she had a broken leg. Oh, but, so she was in great shape. But after the earthquake, what we had done is brought our tables out. And we had two nurses there, one that had just arrived that week. And luckily, she was an urgent care nurse. And we were just there to check on the kids and check on them, make sure they were all okay. And then people just started walking from all around. I mean, it looked like, I, I hate to use this analogy, but it, but almost like a, 
an image of Night of the Living Dead, people walking toward us that were missing limbs, that were holding up other people that had oh heads gosh. heads cracked open. I mean, just every kind of injury you could possibly think of. And they were coming because they knew we had this little community clinic. And our clinic was something that we just handed out, worm pills or malaria pills. And, you know, we would cuts and bruises. You know, we were not equipped for this, but we felt like this is this is what God was doing. He's bringing these people here, and we had to help them however we could. So we have a feeding program where we feed hundreds of kids every week, and we had these tables, plastic tables, and we brought them all out and opened these up, put sheets on them, and started laying these patients on these these uh, tables. And in that process, we just tried to care for them as best we could with two nurses. It was just a series of events that happened over the next six days, we became a triage and people were, I mean, and this is just a very unusual situation, but we had, you know, people from the wealthiest people that you might find in Haiti to the poorest of poor. And they're laying next to each other in these little makeshift beds that we put together. And that whole incident, it went over a series of, I mean, all I, the only thing I can ascribe this to is just a series of miracles that happened over that period of six days, we were exhausted. We, we, we didn't sleep during most of that period of time. People kept coming in. We had people outside of our facility as well as in our, our boys' home, which we turned into this makeshift triage unit. And we quickly exhausted our supplies and we were just... We were just overwhelmed. And you had some temporary volunteers that week too, right? Yes. We had a whole team there. Yes. That must have been overwhelming for them. It was, it, some of them were in shock, just in a state of shock. And all of our kids were scared to death. And they were actually, we have a little playing field. We, it's our soccer field, but it was a converted tennis court uh, next door. And all the kids just brought their mattresses. They wouldn't go in, they didn't want to go in a building. So they just laid all their mattresses out and all our volunteers were there trying to comfort the kids. In the midst of this, you know, we had uh, our kids as well. Some of our older kids were coming in and cleaning wounds and changing bandages. And I mean, it was just, it was the most moving experience. I can't even explain it. Did Um, any of them decide to be doctors or nurses? Yes, we have a, a couple. We have one girl that graduated, I think, year before last that is uh, still trying to get into uh, med school. We have, uh, and the one that's up in Washington is also interested in going to medical school too. So yeah, there are those that would love to uh, serve in that way. So that was a, a, an amazing experience. There were situations that happened all during that, you know, just as an example, we're totally out of meds, we're, we're, or we're actually running low on meds, but the, some of the wounds are so severe that we're concerned that these people aren't going to get treated properly. And my wife and I were just praying. We were praying the whole time during this whole event. And people would show up at our place and volunteer, and we'd say, sure, you know, go change bandages or help out, whatever you can do. We're going to serve food or whatever. And a couple show up and they go, yeah, our house just collapsed down the street. We you know, are here to help if there's anything we can do. And we said, sure. And uh, I asked the, the gentleman, uh, you know, what, what he did and if there's any way, you know, he could help with. And he says, yeah, I, I'm an orthopedic surgeon. No. Yes. You know, God just sent these people to you, didn't they? Just like the urgent care nurse who was there to volunteer for a week. Wait, it was a week, right? Yes. Uh, yeah. Well, she actually was end up staying for two years. Yeah. She originally came there just to volunteer for a week, right? A short term like that. Yes. Wow. And she ended up staying for two years. Um, because of that, that just touched her heart. 
just totally moved her. Wow. That's so, amazing. Yeah. So there was a whole series of incidents that, that I mean, if, if I could have made a list of the top 10 people to have come and serve, the orthopedic surgeon would have been at the top. And uh, we literally, during that time period, uh, just saved numerous lives. We had to do amputations. We didn't have any of the equipment. We had to do them in the kitchen of our boys' home. We had all kinds of things that we had to do just to just to save lives. And it was, uh, you know, if that doctor wasn't there. And his, and his wife was a, a nurse as well, so we had that help. And then we had another situation just right after that. We ran, totally ran out of meds. And so I had probably 50 people sitting, you know, in carts or laying in the street, you know, in front of the place. And, and my wife and I had to go out there. And again, we had, we were just so frustrated and you know, just exhausted. And uh, we had to tell them, look, we're out of meds. We can't even help you if we wanted to right now. And went back to our house to check on it. And we had some pretty major cracks in our house, prayed, came back. And there were like three vans right in front of our house filled with, um, medical students and medicine. I mean, everything we could no have possibly wanted. Way. Oh, this that is, is awesome. And Soledad O'Brien was there at this time now. CNN was the, sort of a regular fixture during this time. And she, it was so funny because she was watching all this happen. And I don't even know, you know what she believes or doesn't believe, but she, she, it was so funny because she, it was like she would turn to us and she'd say, well, how did that happen? And eventually she said, forget it. I know what you're going to say. God. God <laughs> provides. That's it. One word, three letters. And she ended up writing a book after that experience uh, that uh, she she profiled uh, that incident and the things that happened while she was here during the earthquake. That is so amazing. Bill, this has been just a uplifting and amazing day. Thank you so much for talking to my viewers about how they can volunteer and not only help other people, but help themselves. So I really, really appreciate it. Before we end the show, though, I wanted to ask you, there's, there's usually two questions that I ask every single person that comes on the show, or I try to, it doesn't always happen. But what do you think people should know about before they retire? That's a great question. I honestly believe that most of us, if not all of us, are unprepared for retirement. <laughs> I was probably the worst of the worst in that regard. I got even more depressed when I went to one of those little calculators where you calculate. <laughs> That'll do it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I only need $6,533. No problem. You know? <laughs> I think I've got that in my checking account. Um, no. So I, I, I've uh, got it in my wallet right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that preparing for retirement is, to me at least, and I'll share it from personal experience, is that look forward to it. Just prepare yourself for a new adventure like you've never thought of. And you can do anything you want to do. And I have met so many people in the last couple of years that just blow my mind because they are they are just, it's, it's like a, a whole new life for them. They're involved. They're doing things that they love to do. They're serving people. And they, and when you serve people, I can't tell you the joy that you get from that, that, that just, I, I feel like it's selfish, you know, you know, I feel like I'm so selfish sometimes when I serve because I feel like I'm getting more out of this than the people that I'm serving. I just, I really feel that sometimes we just put so much emphasis on the financial 
But I really think you need to take a look at, you know, the spiritual and the emotional side of it and start getting excited. Because even if you don't have that much money in the bank, you still have your yourself and you can do things and you don't have to stay home. You can go places that don't cost money and you can do amazing things. That would be the, what I'd say is, is get excited. Get excited because what's ahead of you is really whatever you make it. And if you, you know, really, again, sometimes we get so hung up, well, I don't have enough money and I don't have this or that. <laughs> I've known people that, that face that situation. They move to Costa Rica and uh, they're living on, you know, $500 a month or wherever it is. And, and they're having a great time. Um, but don't get hung up on the money. You know, really think of the, the freedom that you have and how you can use that freedom to help others, to help yourself. Thank you so much for that. And that's actually why we started this show. And there is an episode, interestingly enough, about a woman who moved to Costa Rica and retired at age 40. So <laughs> <laughs> at 40, wow. I know, I know she she got tired of the rat race and said, I'm moving to Costa Rica and she did it. So that was pretty cool. Um, so the second question that I ask is, what if you're already retired and you're stuck? Well, you're just not having a great retirement. What would you give to that person? If that was a friend of mine and they were stuck, I think I would probably drive over to their house. I'd put them in my car and I'd I'd take them to downtown and I'd take them to a local mission there. I'd have them put on an apron and start serving meals. I think your perspective changes. Sometimes... And I saw this all the time in Haiti when I was there, not just with retired people, but with everybody. And they get so wrapped up. We get so wrapped up in our world, you know, oh gosh, you know, I, I wasn't able to get the upholstery I wanted to get from my new car. And, you know, <laughs> and they're just walking around depressed for two years, you know, and, and sometimes it all comes into perspective when you spend time with those that are in need. Uh, I cannot tell you. My kids, I have, I, I mean, the, how their lives were impacted by that. I cannot tell you how my wife and I were impacted by that because I went over there when I was 50 years old. I, I was in the corporate world for 25 plus years. I, I've been a professional musician. I've done all kinds of things. Those 10, 11 years were the best years of my life. They were the hardest. Like I said, we I had malaria, I had dengue, I, <laughs> I I was shot at. I you know we had. I mean, I had all kinds of things happen that. But I, I would not trade those those years for anything. They were the best years of our lives. That is a great way to end the show. Thank you so much. So, let me ask you: Is there a way for my listeners to contact you if they want more information? Well, sure. If they want to email me, they can email me at bill at, and this is a, the, the new little thing that we do. It's our, our real estate uh, uh, podcast. It's old dogs, D-A-W-G-S, R-E-I network.com. And I'm so, going to have that in the show notes as well. Oh, so, great. great. <laughs> so if okay. anybody doesn't know how to spell that, just go to the show notes. But again, it's D-A-W-G. Right. Yeah. Old dogs. You got it. That old dogs, REI network.com. And uh, also we have a website for child hope that if they want to check that out, childhope.org. I'd say you can volunteer anywhere, but if you are so moved to go to Haiti, you can do it right on the website there. You can sign up and 
they have you fill out an application and uh, it's a real good orientation program. So they, you know, you're not walking in there cold, you're well prepared for what you're doing and so forth. So you could also reach me through that website as well. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. And for our listeners, we have put together this great freebie for you. It's some of the things that we talked about today about three ways volunteering overseas can give you a better retirement. And you can get that absolutely free by going to rockyourretirement.com slash volunteer overseas. So thanks so much. And we'll see you next week on Rock Your Retirement. Thanks for listening to the Rock Your Retirement show. If you are rocking your retirement or know someone who would make a great guest on our show, please send us an email at podcast at rockyourretirement.com. Hi, this is Kathy. When I'm not hosting Rock Your Retirement, I'm helping people with their Medicare insurance. One of the times you need to check your Medicare insurance is when you've moved. To get my free guide, Five Things You Need to Know About Medicare When You Are Moving, just go to medicarequick.com slash move. And in the meantime, listen to these cool disclosures. Neither Medicare Quick nor its agents is connected with the federal Medicare program. Medical insurance licensed in the states of California, Florida, Nevada, and Texas, and Medicare Advantage and Prescription Drug Plan service areas vary. California Insurance License 0797566. Oh, wait. I wanted to thank you again for listening to the Rocky Retirement Show. If you're a new listener, a good place to start is episode 116. This explains the six pillars of retirement lifestyle and our general philosophy. Episodes 1 through 236 can be thought of as an encyclopedia. These are topics that may or may not be interesting to you. You can listen to the ones that you're interested in and forget the rest until the issue becomes an issue for you. And that's okay. I actually don't recommend starting with episode one and working through until the most recent. That's actually not how the show was designed. Of course, if you want to do that so you can see how the show changed over time, you're welcome to. Now, starting in August, actually August 31st of 2020, we changed the format of the show. The monthly episode starting with 237 follow a real retiree from her pre-announcement through her first year of retirement. There might be bonus episodes, but we're committed to monthly. If you've enjoyed any of our past shows or the show that you've just listened to and you want to support us, you can do so in any of the four ways. One, share this episode with a friend or family member who needs to hear it. This is the most important way that people find us. Since our audience is typically older, we grow by having our listeners share our episodes with others. Two, subscribe to or follow the show using whatever podcast catcher you're listening on right now. Now, if you're listening on your computer, you can listen on your smartphone by going to Apple Podcasts, 
Google Play, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, iHeartRadio, Spotify. I mean, I believe on all of them. If you can't find us on the podcast catcher that you'd like to use, send us a note on the website at rockyourretirement.com and we'll make sure that we get on your favorite podcast app. But basically, what you do is you download the app and then you search for the show and when you find it, you'll hit subscribe. Make sure it's the Rock Your Retirement Show and that you hear my voice when you listen. Um, actually, there were some episodes where Henry Shapiro was a guest. Uh, we, we actually downloaded some of his episodes. So if you hear him, it's probably still the, the same show. There were maybe 34 or 35 episodes back in the beginning that we hosted on our show uh, when he decided to leave podcasting. Number three, how you can support us is by leaving a review. Whatever podcast app you're listening to normally has the option of leaving a review, either a written review saying how great the show is or just with stars. Five stars is typically the best. And of course, we're shooting for those five-star reviews. And if you tell us why you like the show, what you liked about it, it's actually easier for other people to understand what the show's about. A lot of people, when they find our show, they think it's about money. And of course, by now, you know that it's not. Number four, if you'd like to support us financially, of course, we're always appreciative of that. Just go to rockyourretirement.com slash support, and it will take you to our page where you can support us financially. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on Rock Your Retirement. Bye.